TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates Father's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Good Sunday home opener morning. It's Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Can you feel the excitement? Brenda Lacey. Obviously, co-host, Brenda, good morning. Good morning, Joe. It's a day I thought might never come. I am so amped up. I couldn't sleep. I'm a huge, huge Bills fan, big sports fan, especially Buffalo sports. I cannot wait. I consider our show today, Hardline. By the way, good morning, everybody. We go from 10 until noon. The pregame show to the Bills game at 1 o'clock. This is, and Brenda, my excitement is so through the roof. As you heard there, I didn't even know how to start the show, right? <laughs> I mean, like you said. I understand, believe me. Like you said, like I, I do feel uh, it, it stinks that we can't be at the game, okay? So I'm kind of feeling some withdrawal from that. Um, but the fact that it's here, like you said, there were people out there that thought it was never going to happen. But the fact that 1 o'clock today, we will be with family and friends watching the first game of the NFL season in 2020, a year like none other. And you know what? I really do think by halftime, you're going to forget there's no fans in the stands and be focused in on that game. Well, the other thing that gets me so thrilled about this too, Joe, is the anticipation of the season. I mean, we finally have a team that seems to have their act together from the top down with Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, and the players uh, you know, the anticipation hasn't been this high since the Super Bowl years. And uh, we've been diehard season ticket holders and fans for many, many years. My husband and I went to two of the four Super Bowls, so we live and die with this team. So even though we can't be in the stands, uh, I'm excited about the quality of this team and the fact that we really can make a, a legitimate run deep into the playoffs, I hope. I can't wait, Brendan. Hopefully by the playoffs, maybe, just maybe, there'll be some fans. Uh, yes, yes. And you I, know what, Joe? One thing I wouldn't mind, though, is that obnoxious uh, train horn. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing I would I will not miss hearing by being at the stadium. Well, I'll tell you this. They're never getting rid of that. I mean, that that is so... <laughs> That is so known now. It's actually in the game, Madden, when you play in Buffalo, you hear the horn on third down. Oh, you're kidding. I didn't know that. No, I have to throw in I have to throw in the personal here. You know, it was great to see college football and certain stadiums with fans yesterday. Uh, but at the same time, it hurt that it's going to be two more weeks until Virginia Tech plays with next week's game getting postponed because of COVID. Uh, but again, just some promising things to see socially distant, but see some fans uh, out at the college games yesterday. Well, it's a work in progress for all of us, college, uh, NFL, you name it. But it'll be very interesting to see how everybody copes with uh, this particular game out at uh, Bill Stadium, as it's being called now. And I hope that Sean McDermott doesn't have the same problem that Andy Reid had the other night when he was wearing the shield and it kept fogging up. The poor guy needed a little windshield wipers on the shield. <laughs> Something you think he would uh, he would put together. But, Brenda, as we talked about, you know, uh, it's a work in progress for all of us. Hopefully the NFL can get the season through with avoiding COVID a little better than the Williamsville School District. 
Oh, that's for sure. What a debacle. It feels like it's a clown car kind of process here where things are happening uh, and none of it makes a whole lot of sense. So we welcome your calls and texts uh, about the Williamsville school situation. Uh, just to get everybody up to, uh, up to date on that, uh, the regions, it's the largest suburban school district too in the region and they decided on Thursday to move instruction for all secondary students online starting Tuesday. And the goal then is to bring fifth and sixth graders back in a hybrid model by November 16th, and then students in grades seven through 12, the target date is January 4th. What a mess it has been, Joe. And uh, if you'd like to call in or comment, 803-0930 is the number. Uh, the, uh, it's also the, the slide. Yeah, it's also the Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board, Brenda. And there is uh, the Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board is a little bare. So let's get some comments. Let's get some action going. Pre-game political talk and uh, general news talk. So if you have you a text, 803-0930, the Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board, wide open. We'd love to hear from you. Now, I understand we have a caller on the line. Is that right, Joe? Because I'm at home and you're at the station, so I'm a little bit uh, in the dark here. We do. The star, to kick things off, we uh, are going to Dr. Greg in Williamsville. Greg, good morning. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Brenda. Thank you so much for having me here today. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, um, Dr. Greg, and uh, I know you're a seasoned education administrator. Uh, you have a strong background in emergency management, and you also have children in the district, so you certainly bring a different perspective to what's happening in Williamsville. And, and Greg, I have to ask you, what I find so mind-boggling is, why wasn't more planning done sooner? It appears to me that things just sort of got pulled together at the last minute. Is that your perception as well? It is it's spot on my perspective. It's clear from, from anything that they've been sending out from the earlier uh, forums that they had that no real work was done until late July or August when they knew that something was going to have to be put in place back in March. It, it's evident from the lack of communication, the regular and consistent changing guidance and decisions, and the fact that at an emergency board meeting a little over a week ago, actually a week ago today, that the former superintendent could not clearly articulate when or how often often they actually met. While I, I applaud the board for placing the former superintendent on administrative leave and ordering in a full investigation to the reopening planning, um, and I also acknowledge that they had some limited options for an interim, uh, it, they are still uh, in, in falling in a lot of different ways here, and that's evident by this latest decision uh, last Thursday. So last week they said that they were going to delay the full virtual, and now Tuesday the complete full virtual. Uh, you, you might not know the answer to this, but I'd like to know, so what actually happened in the schools this week? Well, you know, I don't think any of us really know from the outside. All we do is we get the information from the board. You can't really comment. It's not a press conference. It's just them sharing information. What I do know as a, as a parent uh, of four kids in the Williamsville School District, from ranging from elementary school to middle school and all the way up to high school, is that the teachers were not aware of this decision until after it came out. I'm also aware that many people chose the hybrid model for very specific reasons. They chose online for very specific reasons, under a, a promise, a contract, if you will, from the Williamsville School Board, from the central office, that they would be able to have their needs met. And so now with this recent change that they did under the guise of, of equity, which I would love to spend a few minutes talking about if we can, now they basically have said, okay, everything is online. We're prepared for that, which clearly they're not. And people who have specific reasons 
financial reasons why they needed to do a hybrid, uh, academic reasons with IEPs that are now not being met, can't do that. It, it, is a, it is a mess of epic proportions, and I don't see any real planning in sight that tells us how we're going to get to November or January in a better place. Now, you said you have kids ranging from elementary, middle, and all the way up to high school. What's that going to be like at your home with, with you have kids that are actually going to still be doing hybrid, and then your older kids staying home? What kind of uh, situation is that set up for you? Yeah, it's a great question, and, and thank you for, for asking that, because we're, we're lucky, we're fortunate in some ways in that um, I have a, a wife who is a teacher. I have a wife who is able to uh, step back from her role uh, where she was working part-time at a nursery school to teach our two younger ones. Um, but now I've got four people who need to be in different rooms in the house, learning online, um, balancing. You know, one of the kids is in kindergarten. One of them is in second grade. As you can imagine, they don't do well sitting in a Zoom classroom for a long period of time. So thankfully, uh, I've got a professional here who can who can manage that. But that's not the situation of everybody. And that's, I think, one of the most concerning things about all of this is that the school board talks about this being the equitable way to go. While I would agree that it's probably they were probably out of options at this point because of poor planning and because of a lack of planning, really, it's not equitable and it's not even and it's going to impact people in very real ways. Greg, did you agree with the decision to put Scott Martzloff on leave? So I absolutely agreed on that. It was very evident from the board, the special board meeting they had uh, two weeks uh, a week ago, excuse me, that he had no answers that he was defiant, that he was uh, not cooperating with the board, that the board was blindsided. I, was, I applauded that decision. What I'm concerned about, if I'm going to be honest, is that the interim replacement for a superintendent is just as problematic for me. And this is, I obviously do not know him or, or, or any of the other players here, but from an outside perspective, we one of the biggest challenges that the superintendent talked about that Williamsville talked about was their ability or their lack thereof to hire qualified teachers. So now we have an interim who was in charge of human resources as mm-hmm. interim person. And so giving the benefit of the doubt at the first board meeting on the first day of classes, uh, it, he plays a video of the first day of classes where 1,400 people don't have school. They're not able to. He shows a video of uh, him in the ad school with kids on campus and excited, completely tone deaf to what's really going on here. And now this decision is made to move everything online after you know he's, he's in office for a week, and we're just going down the same road. He talked about in his opening letter that this was a new day in Williamsville. I, I don't see that. Either he was complacent in what happened, or he wasn't sharing with the, the superintendent and the board what the challenges were. Either way, I don't see how this is a better way to go. You know, uh, I was reading about how Clarence, which is obviously, you know, close to the Williamsville district geographically, and I think somewhat demographically, uh, they're doing things with cameras in the classroom. And a lot of people think that this live stream to remote students approach could have been implemented in the Williamsville district. And I'm wondering why that wasn't talked about or, uh, you know, done in Williamsville. Was there any talk about using that as an alternative? 
So the information that we've received as parents and family members is that there was contractual issues with doing that with the Teachers Association. Um, but if you will listen to the last, the, the big school board meeting they had two uh, a week ago, um, they grilled for two hours. One of the board members, several of the board members are, are educators. They are very knowledgeable about these things. And they pointed to the fact that there were ways around that. Those ways were never really explored. Uh, and that was evident also, that there wasn't negotiating, there wasn't uh, exploring how the technology could be used that would satisfy whatever requirement is in the contract about not having cameras in the classroom, but still being allowed to record lectures or, or other things like that. Uh, so it, it's clear, at least from this perspective, that that was not really explored and there was not an adequate reason about why that wasn't able to be done. Um, so it, again, it, it's another one of those things that we don't really have answers to, and, and that's for me, as I'm looking at this as a parent, as, a, as a, somebody who wants to make sure my kids get a, a, a good education, and also as a community member who sees how this is affecting so many individuals, uh, and as a season, season administrator who's basically spent the last six months doing everything possible to ensure that students could be back in classes, uh, I think that the way moving forward has to be a lot more transparent. There has to be uh, regular meetings where minutes are shared. There has to be um, uh, open opportunities for open questions and answers, not just listening without giving feedback. There has to be more transparency and communication that tells us how we're going to move forward from here. Greg, you mentioned you have four children in the system from kindergarten to high school and that your wife is a, a teacher. Uh, have you and your wife discussed moving your kids out of the district and going to a private school? Uh, I have a friend who said she would never want to deal with this, and that's why she works a couple of jobs so she can send her kid to private school. Has it changed your opinion about public schools? We have talked about it, absolutely. And obviously there's the impact of doing that and the upheaval for, for, the, for our kids. Um, and there's also the just the challenges and logistics of being able to do that for for something that may be relatively short term, but it's at least going to affect this entire school year. So yes, we absolutely have thought about that. Has it affected my opinion of public schools? It certainly affected my opinion of the Williamsville School District. You know, all throughout the summer, uh, we weren't getting a lot of information, but I think in my mind, I I thought that they'd be able to pull this out. That the central office would be able to pull it out. That the the school district with the most resources would be able to make this happen. And, and clearly, that is not the case here. And I don't see, again, any any real signs that they're going to be able to do that moving forward. So it, while it doesn't turn me off from public education, it certainly changes my opinion of our effectiveness of Williamsville School District. So what happens next? I mean, can the union talk with the administration? Uh, what do you foresee happening as we're already into you know, mid-September? Well, and I think that's my biggest concern here, and I'm so glad that you all are giving so much time to this topic today. You know, there are a lot of families out there who don't have the time to be able to engage with this, who don't feel like they have the connections to be able to deal with it, and I feel like it's our responsibility who do feel like they have that ability and time to do that to raise our voice, not yelling, not being belligerent, but raise our voice appropriately and professionally to get the school board to take some really serious actions on this and really take a hands-on approach. What I think needs to happen from my perspective right now is obviously they're going to do an investigation and we'll look forward to seeing those results. And then after we get through this, my, my hope is that they do an actual search for a superintendent and don't just put anybody in place from the central office. But in the meantime, 
I think that they need to be scheduling regular three-time-a-week meetings that are happening about the planning. I think they need to have regular meetings uh, with uh, community members and uh, constituents to share what is going on and to share the steps in the process. And then I think they need a public health expert to help them in moving this forward. Their, their plan, to me, is nonsensical. They're saying they're going to reopen for 5th and 6th graders in November and then for 7th and 12th graders in January, which, if you're paying attention to everything that's out there, that's going to be the confluence of, of important variables, including the second wave of this pandemic and a heightened flu season while everybody is trapped inside. It just makes no sense. So how are we going to get us where we need to get? How are we going to allow our students who have IEPs to get the same experience in a virtual environment? Because right now they've mentioned nothing about that, and that's a major problem. Uh, if it's not, uh, not only a problem, it's also kind of illegal to do that. Uh, and then how are we going to meet the needs of everybody else? They need to have specific answers to those things and not just tell us thanks for our patients because we don't. I, I, we've got about 30 seconds left before our break, Greg, but you had uh, expressed concern about the board and central office not really being diverse. And how, how do you think that impacts what's going on today? Yeah, it's a great question because I don't think they're diverse in perspective or background. If they're saying that this decision was made for equity, I don't think they really understood why people chose hybrid or why people chose online. Uh, and it's very clear to me that they're not taking those diverse perspectives into, into, into um, play when they're making these decisions. It's absolutely a concern here, and this decision is not equitable. It solves one problem and creates several more. Well, it certainly seems that way and uh, much more to come. So you can count on WBEN being on top of it. And uh, there's a story about what's happening in Williamsville at WBEN.com. And uh, we will be covering it wall to wall because, Greg, as you mentioned, I don't think it'll be over anytime soon. No, it won't. And I appreciate both of you allowing me some time to talk this morning and for covering this topic. Thank you. Greg, thank Thanks. you for calling in and giving us such a great look on uh, what is a very messy situation. And Brenda, definitely a story that's not done yet. Hey, we've got a packed, packed 90 minutes coming up uh, to you. Coming up next half hour, we are talking to Assemblyman Sean Ryan uh, on a breaking situation. He just held a press conference. We will talk to him, and then also we will be talking to Mickey Kearns at the end of the next segment. And then we have a packed 11 o'clock hour. So stay tuned. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WB. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Welcome back to Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer and Brenda Alacy with you right up till noon, the pregame, if, if you will, uh, right up to noon. And then, hey, maybe you're tailgating at noon. Who knows? Uh, 
We have a packed half hour, so let's get right to it. Uh, New York State Assemblyman Sean Ryan joins us. He just held a press conference outside of Am I Gone Funeral Home on Sheridan. Assemblyman, good morning. Good morning. How are you today? I'm doing well. First, um, you just held the uh, the press conference. Tell us what's going on with Amagon. Well, Amagon has a crematorium facility on, on Sheridan. Uh, you know, right behind it is a dense residential neighborhood. And this crematorium has had problems for over uh, 30 years. Um, you know, could you imagine if there's a problem with the crematorium, you know, that means uh, stench and particles and smut gets gets uh, released uh, into the air and it lands on the neighbor's backyard furniture and their cars and you know it's an awful awful situation uh now with this you're calling on the dec to suspend their crematory operation would that be immediately yes so from 2012 to 2018 this facility was shut down uh they reapplied to reopen in 18 and were forced to put in pollution control measures and you know, they made a promise to the neighbors that nothing like this uh, could happen or would happen. You know, it's impossible for this to happen. But then last week, they, there was a release of, uh, of toxicity uh, into the air. So we're calling on the DEC to immediately suspend the license of the crematorium until we get to the bottom of what happened. Why did this occur? And to make sure it doesn't occur again. But what we don't want is this long pending investigation during which the same thing happens. So we need to get to the bottom of it. Uh, we, we need to figure it out. And the only way we can do that is by immediately suspending the license. Sean, there's been a lot of talk about uh, that the thick uh, plume of black smoke. I've seen video of it. It's really striking as you see it. And as you mentioned, there are particles. And you wonder, are you being hit by human flesh, for goodness sake? It's just a horrific scene. Uh, my question is, there was some talk about that uh, the, the funeral home was cremating several bodies at once, which produced that large uh, amount of smoke in the plume. Do you know if there's any truth to that or what may have caused that to happen? That's a preliminary, uh, preliminary finding. So well, we don't know. Was it a violation of the protocol? Did they overload uh, their ovens? Uh, was there an operator error? Or is there a flaw within the pollution control system? Um, but the neighbors have reported this has been an ongoing problem since they reopened. And the only reason this complaint was taken so seriously, because it just happened that a kind of one, a, a council member, a town board member was driving by and stopped and photographed it. You know, the neighbors report that they've had similar photographs that were sort of dismissed and, and poo-pooed by the, the company uh, and by the uh, investigating agency. So, it's only from, you know, uh, a, a fortune that it happened to be an elected official was there at the time and, and took the photograph. And that's why it's being treated so seriously. But, uh, I believe you're referring to Councilwoman Shannon Patch. And uh, she was quoted as saying she was driving down Sheridan and she was ready to pull over and call 911 because she thought a restaurant or home was on fire. And then she realized it was the crematory. And, uh, and as you say, that really created a whole domino effect of awareness. You know, Sean, I have to ask the question, why would there be a crematorium allowed in, as you point out, a very densely populated area? So there, there wouldn't be under the modern rules, but since this crematorium is over 30 years old, uh, they've been grandfathered in. So if they tried to build a similar facility, uh, the permit would be would be denied. 
uh, but since it's been already permitted, uh, they've 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 got their the grandfather, and you know that's that's a bad idea, right? You're you're putting the you know, the needs of a private corporation are well above the needs uh, of the citizens. I mean, these crematoriums should be on cemetery grounds, they should be industrial parks, but where they should not be is in the middle of a dense area in the town town of Wanda. I'm sorry if I'm making you repeat yourself, but what was it they did to be able to? Restart uh, up the crematory after being shut down. What did they pass? A certain uh, test, a certain protocol. What was done to make them able to do this again? They submitted a a plan with a whole new pollution control system, a state of the art system that was you know guaranteed that this result would never happen. Well, you know, guess what? It it, it happened, and uh, you know we need uh, to figure out why. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's really clear that this is inappropriate usage uh, of, of this of this location. You know, we should not be having a crematorium uh, where, where we have it. So we're going to have to continue to fight this. And as I say, the neighbors have been complaining for a generation. A gentleman who came to the press conference today was an elderly man, and he said he spent 30 years fighting this crematorium. I can't imagine. Uh, has there been any response from Amigon? Have they uh, reached out to you at all? No, they, they, you know, they've been quiet. You know, look, it's going to go through the, the, uh, this process. So um, we also ask for complete transparency. So Amigon has to present information to the state uh, each year about their system. The maintenance is how it's working. So we've both asked Amigon and New York State to release those documents so the neighbors could see exactly what's been happening with this system. Thank you very much, Sean. We really appreciate you taking the time, uh, especially shortly after your press conference, to uh, update everybody on what's been happening with this situation. Please keep us uh, posted on what happens next. Yeah, thank you very much for having us, and let's all uh, keep our fingers crossed for a good result here, but also a good result for the Buffalo Bills today. Heck yeah. What, what's, <laughs> what's your prediction? Uh, bills are going to bills are going to walk away with it. We're going to see a very mature uh, Josh Allen who only makes good decisions and a swarming defense. I like it. I like that breakdown, Assemblyman. Well, enjoy the game, and we'll talk soon. You got it. Thanks, bunch. Assemblyman Sean Ryan, uh, fresh out of his press conference on the crematorium situation at Amigon. And uh, I'm sure, again, just like Williamsville, Brenda, this will be something that's not going away. It'll be... Uh, Talked about probably all weekend. We might even have a follow-up next Sunday. Oh, I have no doubt it will continue to be in the news, Joe. And I really feel for the folks who live uh, right around that area. It's got to be awful to see uh, that debris and smell that uh, odor. I can't imagine how horrific that must be. Yes. Now, speaking of the jammed segment we have here, we have on the line Mickey Kearns. Mickey, good morning. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Brenda. Good morning, Mickey. Thank you so much for joining us. Erie County Clerk Mickey Kearns. And Mickey, you're always a a wealth of information about everything from, uh, you know, uh, things to do with the DMV to what's happening with foreclosures. And we wanted to talk to you today about what's been happening with the uh, zombie watch, if you will. Can you update folks on what happened recently in Clarence? Sure. Uh, We had a property out at Sizzler Road and we started, since I became Erie County Clerk, my former colleague, Sean Ryan, was on there. Uh, we pushed legislation uh, when I was in the Assembly. It passed, was signed by the governor, called the Foreclosure Relief Act. And uh, in there, there was tools where uh, municipalities could sue 
uh, and asked for $500 a day for non-compliance from the service provider. We had a property out in Clarence, uh, one of the most prominent areas in Erie County, and we went out there last year. We tried to work with the service provider. Uh, the house is literally falling apart. Uh, we've been working with the supervisor, Patrick Casilio, the legislator at RAF, a West New York Law Center. And eventually, we just finally had to uh, bring our first lawsuit against the service provider. And what's really scary is, is with this pandemic, uh, people are going to be facing, I, I'm, I'm going to predict it on air, you're going to hear it first, a catastrophic uh, we're going to see zombies like we haven't seen in a long time because of what's going on with the economy and uh, what's going to happen. So we, we're trying to be proactive to make sure that the service providers come into compliance. And that was our first lawsuit against a service provider for noncompliance and outright uh, lack of compassion for the community, uh, community and, you know, really shirking the law. Uh, Mickey, how do you define what a zombie property is? Sure. So a, you have vacant and abandoned properties. Those are properties that are vacant and abandoned that do not have a mortgage. These are properties that had a mortgage. So when a foreclosure is filed, it's filed in the Erie County uh, clerk's office. It's called a Liz Pendant. That commences the foreclosure process. So these are properties where the banks or the service provider file that Liz Pendant, and they say, well, uh, uh, you have missed your 90 days past uh, noncompliance of payment, uh, we're now going to start the process, but the state and the federal government has put in, uh, you know, regulations in there to help the homeowner, help the banks work together to find a solution to the problem. While that is going on, uh, there is, uh, you know, compliance where there has to be inspections done by the, the town or the municipality. Uh, they try to work together to find a solution. If they do not uh, comply and maintain the property beyond just cutting the grass. Uh, it's really maintaining the property in good condition. Uh, if they do not do that and they're not in compliance, then you know they are responsible uh, to the town for that of nearly $500 a day. So it's, it's a really serious thing. It really hits them in the pocketbook, many of these banks and many of these service providers. But this is the first time many of the banks, like M&T Bank, even Wells Fargo, uh, a lot of the banks have been working with us and, and they have been complying. However, in this instance, uh, this is an egregious, uh, you know, really egregious way of ignore, ignoring the community. And, and Mickey, some of these uh, properties that you, that you sent us, I mean, you're talking about just structures starting to really um, crumble. And one of the issues, not only the unsightliness of this, but a lot of these properties are full of stuff because people just abandoned their houses. So you also are going into a situation uh, where you don't know what's inside these properties, correct? Correct. And what we're going to say, Joe, here's a few things you can do. If you're facing foreclosure and you can't make your payments due to a job loss, uh, you have every right to stay in the property. What people don't understand is even if the bank sends you notice, you are still owner of the owner of record. So until that foreclosure is completed by the courts, uh, you're still the owner of the records. Many times the banks pick up uh, paying the taxes because they want to protect the property. But what really concerns me now is uh, many of the service providers who are responsible for maintaining these properties, including paying the taxes, with this pandemic, they're, they've been hit too financially. And uh, if they stop paying the taxes, uh, we could have a catastrophic problem on our hand because most of our uh, taxes are through property taxes. So you're talking about local municipalities 
really getting hit hard in the pocketbook. It could be catastrophic. And the first thing that goes when you're looking at layoffs, and many times, many of these small towns have part-time uh, code enforcement officers. They'll be the first to go. And uh, what I'm saying to people is stay in your home. There is help through the Western New York Law Center. You can contact my office at 858-6985. We'll put you in touch with the right people. But please uh, think this through. Just don't leave your home, and you're going to leave a big problem for the community. Let me ask you this, Mickey, and this might be way off, and I apologize. Uh, but, you know, you go through small towns, rural areas, and there seems to be a lot of properties like this. Do you ever run into an issue where maybe the bank that was responsible for that property itself went out of business? Has that ever been an issue, and then it's been left there for years until someone notices it or someone calls it in? Well, what happens is, uh, in many instances, two times this could happen. One, if someone discharges the mortgage, so the bank says, listen, we're not going to be responsible for this mortgage anymore. We're just going to leave it. Uh, In the second instance, uh, if there's something in probate uh, through surrogate's court where someone dies, uh, maybe the children are out of state. They don't want to have anything to do with the property. They don't really care. Uh, they may have problems with themselves. So this is what we've been doing. I want to thank the Erie County legislator who has uh, approved this funding from my office because this is something that impacts all communities. The reason why we're looking at uh, clearance is that if it could happen in one of our most prominent communities, it could happen anywhere. So, yes, Joe, we're looking at maintaining that. And matter of fact, I've been talking to the county executive about a program uh, that hopefully we can roll out in partnership with the clerk's office where we can attack some of these issues, working with the land bank and working with other entities. Have you ever uh, responded to a zombie property or, or had a zombie property you know, looked at that, you know, from the outside, it just looks unlivable and you've gone up to it or the county has gone up to it and there are people living in this zombie property? Maybe yeah. a homeless person has gone in and taken residence there? Yeah, it, it's happened mostly, you know, in the city of Buffalo. Uh, it happens where people, you know, are desperate. They they find these properties. They've been abandoned. Sometimes, many times, it could be a divorce. I mean, these are not easy solutions sometimes. This is why we need to continue our, our program with the clerk's office. You know, I've been working on this for quite some time with many different partners. So a lot of times it takes a lot of effort. I just was talking to someone on Friday. There was a property out in Orchard Park uh, that I've been working on since my assembly days. And I was talking to the person. They finally got the property on one of the most prominent streets in Orchard Park. And they're like, I can't believe how long this took. So what we're trying to say to the banks is we'll work with you. Uh, there are people in this hot market. But you got to remember this. I don't want to scare anyone. Back in 2008, we had about 8% unemployment. Um, we did not have a housing boom in Buffalo and Western New York like we have now. Properties stayed flat. The, the values stayed flat. Now we have properties. Uh, we've got a housing boom in the market. Uh, I'm very nervous that we haven't, we didn't face the boom back in 2008. In 2020, we're going to face that boom. People have overpaid for property with 40 or 50 offers on a house. Uh, They've overpaid. If they lose these properties with 15 to 18% unemployment, it's going to be catastrophic for Western New York. I don't mean to be uh, the person that sounds this and it sounds so negative, but uh, I just think preparation is key, just like the Boyd Scout Mono. Always be prepared, and we need to prepare for this. And the only way we're going to do this is through really working with the service providers, the banks, and the municipalities. You know, the elected officials, we just had a, a property out in Kenmore where the mayor did a great job working with um, the service provider. Uh, they demolished the property on a great, 
on a great street, Delaware and Euclid, and solve, problem solved. This, this is happening on very strong streets. It can happen anywhere. Mickey, it's interesting you bring up about the housing boom in Western New York because it certainly is sizzling right now. Uh, in fact, there's uh, information today that I saw about how somebody's buying it sight unseen, buying a property uh, from 3,000 miles away, and that's not so unusual anymore. Um, uh, but back to the, this uh, property and clearance that you were talking about, the whole process is fascinating to me, and really the uh, the process took a long time. Now, do you usually find out about these through the, the diligent work of the town's code enforcement officers who are on this, you know, practically every day, I would imagine? Is that how your office becomes aware of it? We work with the code enforcement officers. We have a, a quarterly meeting uh, in the clerk's office where we bring them all together. Now we're doing it through Zoom. Who We talk to them, uh, of course, neighbors. Uh, we, we encourage people to call our office or email my office. Uh, we work with the Department of Financial Services to put complaints in against these service providers. You, you, this property and clearance, what makes it unique is um, they're so bad, uh, they had to change their name from First National to Mr. Cooper. When you change your name because, you know, you're doing business as a different business now because that's how bad you're running your business, it's pretty bad. But it, it could happen. You know, we had the largest zombie out in Clarence, uh, a nearly $1 million zombie, which we were able to get back on the tax rolls. Uh, the supervisor said the other day, it's now, uh, there has been another million-dollar investment in it. About $40,000 in taxes is being paid to the town of Clarence. I mean, this is where it's going to come down to where I always say, you not only buy the house, you buy the neighborhood. Well, with the pandemic, and with the housing boom that we're facing, and you know this quite well, Brenda, uh, we are facing, we are teetering, we're on the teeter of a, a catastrophe that will impact services uh, like we've never seen before. Uh, and, and I do want to reiterate how you said the Western New York Law Center has played a key role in this. Uh, Mickey, how did that, that agency become involved in the whole zombie initiative? We went back with them, back to my days uh, in the uh, New York State Assembly, uh, we've worked with them. Uh, my office uh, put out an RFP, a request for a proposal, seeking help and assistance. Uh, they won the contract. Uh, I allocated for my office nearly $200,000 approved by the Erie County Legislature. Um, because of our uh, budget, budget deficit reduction plan, we had to lower that. We went on a, a partial plan for $40,000, but we're hopeful we'll get additional funding. But what they do is they do the research. They do the background check. They do all the work that the municipalities can't do. And it's bringing everyone together and the expertise. We have uh, Wells Fargo. Uh, we have a representative from Wells Fargo, wise in from New York City prior to COVID, to work on these issues. They know that in Erie County, um, we've got a team, and it's important, our zombie property. So it's a team effort, Brenda, and West New York Law Center is part of that team. I sort of consider myself the GM, maybe use a football analogy. They're the coaches, <laughs> a lot of good players and the code enforcement officers. But it's, it's, it's a really important thing, uh, and it's something, it's constant. We have to continue to push and advocate uh, for funding, and we have to continue to work on these properties. All right, Mickey, uh, I would like to get a few DMV questions in, if that's okay. Go ahead. Uh, um, first and foremost, because this popped up on the text board and also my mother's asking, um, have inspection have the inspections still been suspended or are we to go get our inspection sticker updated? 
If you can get your inspection sticker updated, I think people are moving around more freely today. They're a little bit more confident. I was at church this morning. Uh, if you can do it, you can do it. If you can, if you still feel scared, you'll be fine. I keep on saying, you know, if you get pulled over and you get a ticket, call my office. Uh, you know, I, I've not heard one law enforcement agency say they're going to enforce this. So we're still under the governor's executive order, uh, whether it's registration. But we've been handling this this week. I'm going to have a, a major announcement dealing with the DMV uh, to try to get things going. And uh, we're really we're really working really hard. I want to congratulate and thank the frontline workers who really do a lot of the work. But, you know, I got some stats the other day, which will blow your mind. Um, on Friday, we had 370 people come into our Southgate facility. The average waiting time was three minutes and 50 seconds. That's crazy. That's unbelievable. Wow. I'm not going to say that's going to happen every day, but this is how hard these people are working. And if you told people you would be in and out of the DMV in less than five minutes, they'd probably laugh at you. But with the appointment system, um, if I can just and just really tell the people at home, do not make multiple appointments. You're hurting your fellow neighbors. Uh, make one appointment, and I promise Work If you have to come back another day, we'll work with you on it. But do not make multiple appointments. I remember we talked, there were 10,000 people that skipped their appointments in a two-month period because we had people making multiple appointments. We are calling those people on a daily basis saying, you do not need two, three, four, or five appointments. One appointment is fine, and we've been able to cut that down nearly 50%. So um, we're going to have an announcement this week. We're still under uh, the governor's executive order, but we are staying, staying status quo, Joe. Mickey, I do want to ask you about um, the locations, uh, which are open, and have you had any trouble with your staff? Uh, have, have they expressed concern about safety? You mentioned about people who may be uh, still frightened about going into locations. Have you had any trouble staffing these locations? We We have four locations. Uh, that are open. Uh, one of the things I did, I was proactive. We were one of the first parts of county government where we have uh, glass that separates, uh, spit shields uh, that separates all of our facilities and all of our departments, uh, not inclusive of the DMV, of course, and registrars. So we've been very proactive. Of course, um, you know, we've been very lucky uh, with staff being sick. We've had uh, less than a handful of people that have had COVID-19, uh, we have not had a shutdown. Like I said, the front staff has been, frontline staff has been incredible uh, from curbside service to today. So listen, we're always working with the union. We're always working, talking to people to see how we can be better, constant, never-ending improvement. There's always people that have concerns. Uh, everyone's concerned in these trying times because uh, COVID is a scary, scary thing, but we're doing the best that we can to uh, not only protect our customers, but I try my best to do uh, what we can to protect um, our frontline workers. And we'll continue uh, to talk to them. We just got a, a letter from the union the other day uh, asking some questions. And remember, a lot of what we do is based on the Erie County Health Department, so we do work with them very closely. Mickey, you mentioned uh, you have a press conference coming up. Any uh, any little tidbit you can tell us what it might be about? Yeah, I think I think basically you can figure it out we're about a couple weeks out on appointments and uh, we'll have an announcement that i think people are going to be happy about um, um i want to you know get that out i love you guys uh but if i tell you today no one will show up on tuesday <laughs> all right well, fair point fair point we, 
We appreciate that. And you did mention your phone number. Was it 858-6985? 858-6985. The Bills are going to win today. That's my prediction. That'll be the hint I give you today. Uh, <laughs> I like it. Some surprises. Thank you very much for joining us today, Mickey. We appreciate your flexibility and all of the information. Best of luck uh, as you pursue the zombie properties. Very interesting initiative. We got to stay on top of this. And like I said, um, I'd love to come back on and give you an update on how this lawsuit is going. And hopefully uh, we can get a resolve to this. I know service was done last week and we won't have to do this. I'm not looking to sue banks or we want to work with people. We want solutions. Uh, we don't want litigation. Yeah. As soon as there is a, uh, uh, an update, Mickey, let us know. We'll bring you right back on. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys. All right, thank, thank you. Thank you. Joe, very interesting uh, initiative going on with Zombie Homes. And as Mickey points out, you know, these are in prominent suburbs, too. It's not just low-income areas where people might expect that to be. Uh, but, uh, boy, the pictures really look unbelievable. Yeah, the, the one of the garage really collapsing in on itself, and you can see a bottle of Roundup sneaking outside of the garage. I mean, it's... <laughs> It's and you can just imagine. I mean, if you if you lived next to that property and you're watching it decay as you know you're trying to keep your yard up, I mean, I can definitely uh, can definitely sense the frustration from people in the communities. Oh, absolutely, well justified. Well, we've got much more to come on Heartland. We'll be talking uh, with a doctor. The doctor is in, no copay necessary, and also later in the show, Professor. Kevin Hardwick, another doctor, Dr. Kevin Hardwick. That's right. We tried to science. get we tried to get Bob Woodward. Uh, it, it, we, he wouldn't come on, so we we did second best to talk about it. Kevin Hardwick. Well, he's probably probably painting his face for the Bills game. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so we'll have Dr. Menio and then Dr. Hardwick, all that and more. But first, Dr. Alan Harris will get us updated with news. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.